0: First reading is from Ezekiel the 18th chapter. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live declares the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed, and keeps all my statutes, and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered, for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed for them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, When a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. This is the word of the Lord. The psalm for today is verses from Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The second reading is from Philippians, the second chapter. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The holy gospel for today is from St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. When Jesus had entered the temple, From where did it come? From heaven or from man? They discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he said, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and he went. He went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. This is the gospel of our Lord. As mentioned earlier, from sunset today, about 7.05 p.m. this evening, until sunset tomorrow, about 7.04 in the evening. That will be the Day of Atonement. Now, this Day of Atonement was commanded by the Lord God. In about the middle of the Old Testament, if you were to take the the Torah, the five the, it's not really five books, it's one book, five parts. But if you were to take that Torah and cut it about into half, about dead sinner in that Torah, you will find the the lesson about the Day of Atonement. It's commanded in chapter sixteen, and that day for the the Israelites was to be a day much like the Day of Passover. It was established by God. It was it it was. Created for a reason and purpose by God, and the people were to remember that day and do the events that were prescribed on that day in a perpetual way. Every year, the same day, the same way, the tenth month, the seventh day. What this this happens, and so um, perpetual ordinance, Day of Atonement. It is the highest day in their year, the single most solemn day in their year. Chapter 16, he says that they will make an atonement. For their sins, that they would return to the Lord, their God, that they would confess and they would offer sacrifices. They said that there'd be some sort of a uh, a discomfort involved with that. But basically that meant to them that they would fast and they might wear itchy clothes, something that would make them remember why they're doing this and pray the Lord all day long, that they would take discomfort so that would inspire their bodies to turn to the Lord with gratitude and confession. So the confession was sacrifice. And then with that, then they would start to follow his holy will and his holy way, and he would give them life and blessing, and he would be their God, and they would be his people, and it would be a beautiful family again. Day of Atonement. That's what it was about. Now, unknowingly, many in the historic Christian church, we follow the lectionary. Unknowingly, we've been preparing for this day, this most sacred and solemn day of the Jewish calendar. We've been doing that for weeks. Didn't even really know we were doing it. For the last couple of weeks, there had been special instructions from Jesus to us, his people, and in the church, as we remembered his Bible lessons, about preparations for this day of atonement. Two weeks ago, Jesus, we remember they gave us a parable of the forgiving master and the unforgiving servant. Liturgical churches across the earth were all reading the same lesson two weeks ago. In that lesson, we remembered that we're to give what God has given first to us, and that would be forgiveness, right? The, the, un, the, the forgiving master forgave like a billion dollars of debt. The unforgiving person didn't even forgive like a $1,000 in debt, and, and he got in trouble for it. But in that, in that lesson was to forgive. In fact, at the end of that parable, there was a command. Jesus says, forgive from your heart as you have been forgiven, and on that day, we considered it. What does it look like for us when we forgive from our hearts? You know you've done that when you're able to pray for the person who's wounded you. When you're able to ask God to forgive them and bless them, and it's from your heart. Then you've, you've forgiven from your heart. And until that happens, you pray for help to do it. Because sometimes it doesn't come easy for us. That was two weeks ago. Forgiveness. Last week's parable: There was a wealthy landowner, and he goes out and he invites all the laborers from the first hour of the day, so they had the confidence and the ability to work all day, as well as the one that shows up with only one hour to go. The one who probably had no ability to work; no one wanted to hire them because they could have been wounded or injured, or just weak and tired and old. Whatever it was, maybe they had bad attitudes, maybe they slept in. Whatever the the the, the options were in that day, this landowner invites them all to his vineyard, and at the end of that day, he pays them all everything that would. Be required of them and their families to survive for one day. He blesses the entire lot. The lesson that God, in great love and generosity, he invites all people to work, to participate in his kingdom, and he will provide all that they could ever need. That's the last two weeks. Today, Jesus enters the big city, Jerusalem. He enters the temple arena, and of all the things he does when he gets there, of all the messages and lessons he could give, he gives them, because they're probably inspired by their, their questioning him, he gives them today's parable, a father and two sinful sons. He has two sons. They're both sinful. And the lesson for them and for us is that all have sinned. All deserve the consequences of our sin. We have no excuses. It's done atonement is accepted from all both of them if they would only return confess and follow his word that's the parable he gave now reading about Jesus entering this big city of Jerusalem and about this entering the the temple like this big arena where all the people gathered it inspired a memory and a story from my memories as a younger person, a lot of these memories you know, from days gone by. And Sundays or certain times of the week, they would show Western movies. Maybe it was the Saturday times on the weekends. And I can remember one set of my grandparents liked watching Western movies, the classic old Western movies. Well, one of these Western movies, I don't know the name of it. Maybe we can search it on Google and figure it out. But one of these movies, it was going to be about a Wild West show. There was a Wild West show company that wanted to form up, and they wanted to present a very big show in the city because they wanted a lot of people to come because they wanted to make a lot of money. They wanted to make big money, a big show for big money. A vital and essential component, however, to this show, it was missing. They did not have their real Wild West hero. They knew that... um, They could not have an authentic Wild West show without an authentic Wild West man. They needed one to participate in their show. Then their show would be complete. His good name, his reputation, you know, his fast shooting and strong fighting and wilderness wisdom combined with frontier conquering courage, it would complete their big show. The missing Wild West man in this discussion of the company they actually found out one was passing through town. He was discovered, and so a company man approached him, this representative, and if I remember right, this, this Wild West man, he, he was a bit unsure about the plans and the motives of these slick company city guys, their agenda of these promoters. He wasn't all sold into this. So he didn't make a commitment to become their legitimizing attraction, he just agrees to attend and he'll get back to them. So he does. He gets the front row seat, about the middle of it, you can see everything well. And he had never seen such a large spectacle in his entire life. There was this massive tent covering like old football field size of a tent and bleachers all the way around at least eight to ten rows high. And these were packed with hundreds and hundreds of people. And then there was this announcer would show up in the middle with a bullhorn, and he would he could talk and direct his voice to all the people in the crowd. And then when the show was about ready, open the gates, and here comes charging in many, many horses, just racing into this tinted space, this arena, with riders on top of them doing various tricks, jumping off and jumping on, and riding two horses at the same time, whatever they could do just to wow the crowd. And oh, the crowd was wild. They'd cheered. Then after that ritual battery of, of, of horses and showmanship on horses, then comes the wagon train, and they come racing in full race, one after another in this line, come racing into the arena. And with the main attraction of all these wagons came in at the end. It wasn't quite as fast as the other ones, but this last wagon, it was a gigantic, it was an enormous wagon. The biggest of them all times two. And in front of that wagon, there was a single, massive, incredibly powerful ox pulling that wagon into the middle of the arena. When the last wagon had gotten to the center then, and they were all kind of moving around a circle, then all of a sudden there was a gunshot and that got everybody's attention because there's not a lot of gunshots in the city. And so they all got their attention and the wagons, they started circling close and they made a tight circle. Because at that gunshot, and they got the circle, and then in come racing all the Indians. And the Indians have paint and all kinds of stuff that they can make them seem, you know, part of the show. And they're shooting arrows, and they're hitting the wagons, and the guys in their thing shooting guns. And they had this big old epic battle in the middle of this arena. What a show. After the attack is repelled, and the Indians go running off on their horses the wagons from the train, the people get back in the wagons, and they begin their procession out kind of quickly. They're all leaving, and at the end, here's this ox-pulled massive thing, but something unexpected happens. This large, ginormous, that's a combination that my boys created once upon a time. They took gigantic and enormous, and they just called it ginormous, right? This ginormous wagon comes to, comes to a stop, The sound of the wagons, wagoneers whip is heard. He sings out there and this loud crack of a whip trying to get this ox to move. The Indians have gone. All the wagons by this time have have exited, but the main wagon attraction, it's unmoving. The crowd is now growing quiet. So he cracks the whip again, Whoop, this time near the head of the ox, would be really loud and really terrifying. The ox is obviously motivated to try a pull, but it's also obviously exhausted. It's struggling, it's using all of its strength, They you can see the muscles driving against that yoke, struggling against it, unable to drag the wagon. It's as if that wagon was sinking down into that plowed dirt. It wasn't hard pack, it was kind of roughed up, sinking into that. So with great flare, the wagoneer jumps off. He cracks the whip again. It's not moving. He's cracking it. Finally, it's not moving. So then he takes the whip, and he actually hits the animal with it. Whah! And the animal, you can see it, just drive with strength against it, and it cannot make that wagon move. It strains. Everybody's watching the failure. He whips the animal again. He whips it again, and it begins to tear and bleed. And the bleeding animal's driving against that yoke with all of its strength and power, but it can't move that load. As a child, I remember, like, screaming in my head and in my heart, Stop the beating! Stop! It's exhausted! It wants to, but it can't unbind it. Why don't you give it some water, give it some food, and give it some rest, and then come back and see if it will pull it out for you. In the movie, the real Wild West man, he's witnessing all this. He can't take it any longer. He leaves his place on that front road, drops over the little fence. Powerfully and quickly, intentionally, he walks straight towards the whipping wagoner who doesn't see him approaching. And about the time he's making another painful strike upon the back of that ox, the cowboy grabs his arm, rips the whip out of his hand, and knocks this knucklehead to the dirt. There's even more quiet. The wild west man then, standing now in the middle of this arena, looks around to all the city folks lining the edges. With a sense of sad disgust, he just drops the whip into the dirt. He knows everything they've just seen has nothing to do with the life he's lived, the respect of life of animals, the struggle to survive. So he gently approaches the ox. He proceeds to unbind it from the yoke. And with owners, workers, and the crowd all watching, he takes a lead rope slowly wraps it around the ox, and he leads that powerful, tired ox out of the arena so it could have some rest, some food, and we would think would recover. That story in mind, Jesus entered the crowded city of Jerusalem. He entered the busy temple area. Friends, I can tell you when he entered the temple, it was not for a show. There's a good chance that the the activity and the emphasis of the temple, it did not match what Jesus had mind to be taking place in the temple. And the feeling was probably mutual in that Jesus' plan and purpose for being in the temple at that time, it didn't match what the temple leaders and the crowd had all gone to see. In the temple, the leaders had, well, they had the presentation of the law and all of its demands and all of its expectations clearly there. This is the way of righteousness. This is how the people of God act. They had that. They had the opportunity to collect the tithes and the worship of the people. They had the temple adoration. They had their ritual preservation. All that was in place. The analogy was is that they had a really great and intentional religious show. Jesus' reason and purpose for being there wasn't for the show. It was for atonement. He entered because he wanted to teach about the way of heaven. He entered because he was going to physically become the sacrificial lamb of God to take away their sin. He was to become their atoning sacrifice. His part was to suffer at the hands of evil people, then to be nailed upon a cross there for six hours until he died on that Roman cross as the atoning sacrifice so that freedom and life would be restored as he would rise on the third day. Jesus' work was not to entertain people with divine wisdom, to touch their minds with the message and the teachings of the day so they'd be inspired. It wasn't about entertainment. His purpose was not to distract people from their mundane life and great way of living and their sinful living with maybe his magical power that maybe they'd listen. He would not lend his good name to bring credibility to the chief priest's office. He entered the temple to bring God's truth and life. He entered to stop the oppression to stop the impossible, exhaustive demands. He came to be the sacrifice and set the people free. With those two widely differing agendas in mind, we can easily understand that Jesus' entrance into the temple, it did not conform to their plans. His presence was not helpful to their show. Now, not everyone there, like us in the last couple of weeks, not everyone there had heard his earlier lessons about a forgiving master and an unforgiving servant. They hadn't heard it. There were probably a lot of people there who had not heard his lesson about the generosity of God through the generosity of this landowner who would provide anybody who would come with a day's survival wage. Many thought that They had really little, no need for a real atonement of Jesus or God because they were, quote, God's chosen people. And as God's chosen people, they didn't need all that stuff. They did not need extravagant forgiveness because, after all, they were not in overwhelming debt. They just needed a little polishing here and there. They didn't need the charity that Jesus mentioned because they were successful workers within the kingdom of God. They had earned their way. The only thing that they lacked and that they were looking for was a Messiah to come to remove the Roman oppression and the Roman yoke. That's it. And so to those people in the city, in the arena, Jesus goes first. You need to know in the context of Matthew's gospel, we're reading from the 21st chapter, he has just entered the city and he won't leave the city until he's gone to the cross. These are the last days of his life. And the words he has to say are very important. And of all the things he could have said, he shares a lesson of two sinful sons. Again, this time in the temple arena, not a show. Only a few days to teach about the atonement that they need, whether they recognize it or not. So, to that, a little history, a little Jewish history. There's a good chance that we, who live in the United States in the year 2020, we don't get the the, the, the under, we don't get the story. We don't get the the, uh, the information about why the two sons, a tradition life that would be murder. He also, in the Ten Commandments, renounced theft. He renounced adultery, any sinful activities outside of marriage. If it's in marriage, it's blessed. Outside of that, it's not happening. And those peoples said no. They heard God's demand, and they said no to God. They complained that such restrictions would unreasonably inhibit their sinful appetites and their ways of living, And they didn't want to have anything to do with it. No, thank you. They are the first son who just said to the father, no. They knew that in the story. Now, they also knew from the story, uh, from the Agata, that Moses and Israel alone was like the second son. They said yes. They accepted God's Ten Commandments. For the ancient Jews, this tradition became a source of great pride and comfort and maybe even a little of arrogance. After all, they're the ones who said yes to God and God's rules. Now, what Jesus is witnessing as he's in the temple, now for the third time officially in his ministry time, he's in the temple, he's witnessing that the the Pharisees and the scribal crowd, they had false pride as they were mastering the rules and, and imposing those rules upon all the people. Think of the taskmaster whipping the ox whipping other people who couldn't bear the load and putting all the focus on them. Jesus exposes them in the parable. They are the ones who saluted the Lord and said, we'll obey while they're the second son and they actually don't live it. They say yes and they fail to follow through. Like the second son, he highlights that a hidden truth that they didn't follow through on their verbal pledge, that they would love the Lord their God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that they would love each other as they would want to be loved. Even if they had good intentions, Jesus is exposing to them that there's sin in their hearts, there's a lack of love in their hearts, there's a lack of humility and obedience in their lives They're saying yes to God, and they're breaking the rules and pretending that the rules don't apply to them. And it corrupted them. It corrupted them all. And in the parable, Jesus continues. He says, oh, the other nations, the ones who initially said no to the Lord God, the ones that you call sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and anybody who's in in sin in an unrepented way, and you highlight it and you're whipping them, oh, by the way, they have repented. They heard John the Baptist call to be washed and to clean up their lives and to prepare for the way of the Lord. They repented, they confessed, and they've received the forgiveness of God, and I will complete that on the cross. But you, you've seen all these things, and you pretend that you have no sin and that your sin is somehow small and insignificant. It doesn't count. The parable he told, He lived among them. Two weeks ago, parable, last week and this week, he lived it among them. He made it clear that repentant sinners of all nations, not just the promised ones, the chosen ones of all nations, could be forgiven and would be forgiven, and they would be blessed and maybe even enter heaven in front of the chosen ones. Now, maybe the God, the Father, thinking of this parable, Maybe God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, when they were looking at the world, looking upon the religious show in the temple, that they felt similar to the child or that Wild West man watching this exhausted ox get whipped. Maybe the Lord God screamed in his mind and in his heart, he said, Stop the beating. They are exhausted. They can't ever meet the demands. They will never meet the demands. Can't you see it? Unbind them. Set them free. And so to complete the day of atonement, once and for all, the Son of God and the Spirit of God said, We'll go. And they entered the arena. They put a stop to the beating of the people that were bound by the heavy yokes, and they offered them forgiveness and freedom and life. The Son and the Spirit, they fulfill what was to everybody else impossible to demands, but they fulfill all holiness and all righteousness, a love of the Father uncompromised and a love of people perfected. And with that, as they become an atoning sacrifice, they will have power and love to to pay for their sins, to redeem people from their sins, to pay the price, to forgive them, to pay that debt. And they will have freedom and life. This day of atonement, Jesus, the Messiah of God, Son of God, he is the sacrifice all who return to the Father through him, all who confess our sins, we don't, don't pretend they don't exist. You know exactly what's in your mind and your heart and in your histories for which God is wrestling with you almost every day. Repent of it, confess it, and put it out there and walk away from it. Trusting that you'll be forgiven and you'll be blessed because that's what the Father wants. In both Isaiah and Ezekiel The last words were, and you will live. Turn and live. Tonight at 7 o'clock, 7.05, till tomorrow at 7.04, I'm asking you like pastors and rabbis across the earth are asking their people, return to Lord your God in prayer. We're doing it in worship now. Thanks be to God. That's good. Tonight, till tomorrow. Make a special effort on this, the single highest day. And some would say from events in recent history, this is a very special day of atonement in the history of the world. Pray to the Lord, your God. Pray the Psalms. If you don't know what to pray the Psalms, just read Psalm 51. Pray it. Read Psalm 23. Pray it. Read the Bible lessons from the New Testament. Go to the book of Acts and remember the the message that Peter shared or Stephen shared. And just remember all that God has done. Pray those things. Do it with family and friends. We do it as a nation. And we confess, offer God your confessions, join the Christians across our country and across the world in a confession. Right now they're in Washington with big things, big music things and big auditoriums set up outside to pray to God on behalf of this nation who has renounced their Lord, replaced their Lord, and doing all kinds of vile and disgusting things as a nation. They're they're asking for forgiveness, trusting that God doesn't want to punish, that God wants to forgive and he wants to bless, and he wants to bring his people home. God, help us to be that church and to do that work in these days. Amen. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The prayers of the people today are, it's it's a work of us all together. Um, And if you'll be wise to it, it is Psalm 51. So later on, if you're praying this Psalm 51, you'll recognize it. We'll pray. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear of joy, gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, Take not your Holy Spirit from me, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood-guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or i would give it you will not be pleased with a burnt offering the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart o god you will not despise father we present those we know and love who have been wounded in their bodies or in their spirits and lord they need your healing Lord, we will present those who are managing illness, who are enduring chronic pain, those who are struggling with addictions. Lord, we ask that you would hear us as we softly name those we know and love before you who are in need of your healing. gives you glory, forgive them, renew them, and heal them, and Lord, lead them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Into your hands, merciful Father, we will commend ourselves and all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And the Lord be with you. I said this earlier. It's kind of like you want to sit down after prayers because we would have a song. If you just need to sit because you're tired of standing, it's okay. Sit. If you can stand, then stand. So lift up your hearts. And lift them to the Lord. Get us. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God. You are king of all creation. You have had mercy on us and given us your only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In your righteous judgment, you condemned the sin of Adam and Eve, who ate the forbidden fruit, and you justly barred them and all their children from the tree of life. Yet in your great mercy, you promised salvation by a second Adam, your son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And you made his cross a life-giving tree for all who trust in him. We give you thanks for the redemption you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Grant us your Holy Spirit that we will faithfully eat and drink of the fruit of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvation that come to us in his body and blood. Amen. Our Father in heaven, heaven in your, name. your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Amen. Give us the day of daily bread, Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trouble, and in the heart of sorrow we know, for the kingdom